this week where we were talking about baptism and that really it has its, its roots in, in Jewish, um, the Jewish mikvah, which is an immersion bath. Uh, and I actually did a little more research on that. And I'm going to have to amend that it was actually being used probably a little more than, than we sometimes know that it was. Uh, so I actually went to a, a site called My Jewish Life. And I actually did a little more research on that. And I'm going to have to amend that it was actually being used probably a little more than, than we sometimes know that it was. Uh, so I actually went to a, a site called My Jewish Life. Uh, and and here's, what, here's what the rabbi explains. And I thought, given, given what we were talking about with baptism in the waters of Mormon, I need you to... Uh, uh, and and here's what here's what the rabbi explains. And I thought, given given what we were talking about with baptism in the waters of Mormon, I need you to uh, see if some of this resonates. It's a little bit long, but a major function of immersion in a mikvah is conversion to Judaism. The sages declare that a Gentile who wishes to be see if some of this resonates. It's a little bit long, but. A major function of immersion in a mikvah is conversion to Judaism. The sages declare that a Gentile who wishes to become a Jew must undergo, listen closely, the identical process by which Jewish ancestors converted. Using a mikvah. And and in in mikvah, become a Jew must undergo, listen closely, the identical process by which Jewish ancestors converted. Using a mikvah. And and in in mikvah, oh. As Jews performed immersion at Mount Sinai, to complete the conversion process, they'd begun with circumcision. They left Egypt. So converts in every age must, oh. As Jews performed immersion at Mount Sinai, to complete the conversion process, they'd begun with circumcision. They left Egypt. So converts in every age must immerse in the mikvah. Submerging in a pool of water for the purpose of not only... Now, the, as he explains uh, Jewish converts using a mikvah, immerse in the mikvah. Submerging in a pool of water for the purpose of not only... Now, the, as he explains uh, Jewish converts using a mikvah to, to convert to Judaism... Think about our understanding of the baptismal process, both the both the water, the sign, and the and the uh, spirit, the uh, cleansing. To to convert to Judaism, think about our understanding of the baptismal process, both the both the water, the sign, and the and the uh, spirit, the uh, cleansing. Okay, listen to what he says. I'm submerging a pool of water for the purpose of uh, not using the water's physical cleansing properties, but expressly to symbolize a change of soul is a statement at once deep. Okay, listen to what he says. I'm submerging a pool of water for the purpose of uh, not using the water's physical cleansing properties, but expressly to symbolize a change of soul is a statement at once deeply spiritual and immensely compelling. No other symbolic act can totally embrace a person as being submerged in water, which much touch and cover every legion, every strand of hair, deeply spiritual and immensely compelling. No other symbolic act can totally embrace a person as being submerged in water, which much touch 
and cover every legion, every strand of hair, every birthmark. No other religious act is so freighted with meaning as this one which touches every aspect of life and proclaims a total commitment to a new idea and a new way of life, every birthmark. No other religious act is so freighted with meaning as this one which touches every aspect of life and proclaims a total commitment to a new idea and a new way of life as it swallows up the old and gives birth to the new. Next time I speak at an LDS baptism, I may be quoting a Jew. This is really well done. As it swallows up the old and gives birth to the new. Next time I speak at an LDS baptism, I may be quoting a Jew. This is really well done. The water of the mikvah is designed to ritually cleanse a person from deeds of the past. The convert is considered by Jewish law to be like a newborn child. By spiritually cleansing the convert, the mikvah water... The water of the mikvah is designed to ritually cleanse a person from deeds of the past. The convert is considered by Jewish law to be like a newborn child. By spiritually cleansing the convert, the mikvah water prepares him or her to confront God, life, and people with a fresh spirit and new eyes. It washes away the past, leaving only the future. Uh, of course, this does not deny that there were good and beautiful. Prepares him or her to confront God, life, and people with a fresh spirit and new eyes. It washes away the past, leaving only the future. Uh, of course, this does not deny that there were good and beautiful aspects of the past. But in the strictest religious sense, the past was only a prologue to future life as a Jew. How about that? Beautiful aspects of the past. But in the strictest religious sense, the past was only a prologue to future life as a Jew. How about that? There is a second uh, layer of meaning to the mikvah. It, point, it marks the beginning of the ascent to an elevated religious state. The function of a mikvah goes beyond the basic purpose of purification. Anthropologists refer to... There is a second uh, layer of meaning to the mikvah. It, point, it marks the beginning of the ascent to an elevated religious state. The function of a mikvah goes beyond the basic purpose of purification. Anthropologists refer to this threshold, right at that moment, uh, in the mikvah, uh, refer to this uh, threshold of higher social status as liminality. This person at this moment of transition is this threshold, right at that moment, uh, in the mikvah, uh, refer to this uh, threshold of higher social status as liminality. This person at this moment of transition is liminal or a threshold person. Okay, uh, and, we're, and when we when we talk about the children of the the people of King Limhi as they get ready to make a get move to Zarahemla, we're going to liminal or a threshold person. Okay. Um, and, we're, and when, we, when we talk about the children of the, the people of King Limhi, as they get ready to make a, get, move to Zarahemla, we're going to find people in this liminal state. Okay. Um, entering adulthood from adolescence, for example, requires a tunnel of time, a rite of passage, a liminal state that acknowledges find people in this liminal state. Okay. Um, Entering adulthood from adolescence, for example, requires a tunnel of time, a rite of passage, a liminal state that acknowledges by symbolic acts the stark changes taking place in one's self-identity, 
behavior, and attitude. That's not bad, is it? That, that explains by symbolic acts the start changes taking place in one's self-identity, behavior, and attitude. That's not bad, is it? That, that explains better this moment and it gives you some continuity of, so now let's go back. What the world was John the Baptist doing? So you get this transitional liminal period where they are being admitted. It's better this moment and it gives you some continuity of, so now let's go back. What the world was John the Baptist doing? So you get this transitional liminal period where they are being admitted into a new covenant that they were making to a body of believers outside of the temple setting. That's a pretty important thing. And this is and there would be certain into a new covenant that they were making to a body of believers outside of the temple setting. That's a pretty important thing. And this is and there would be certainly amount of understanding among the people as they're streaming away from King Noah and they're landing in and Alma's trying to teach them the moment that says, you want to do all this thing? Yes. Then what of you against being baptized? The amount of understanding among the people as they're streaming away from King Noah and they're landing in and Alma's trying to teach them the moment that says, you want to do all this thing? Yes. Then what of you against being baptized? He probably said, what of you against being immersed in the mikvot? And they probably... That, they, Yay! That's what we want! I mean, the clapping of hands, and they're just thrilled that they're going to be entering a new fest. He probably said, what of you against being immersed in the mikvot? And they probably... That, they, Yay! That's what we want! I mean, the clapping of hands, and they're just thrilled that they're going to be entering a new phase of their life. They total, They would, if they were uh, observant Jews, and certainly King Noah's people were clinging to the law of Moses... Uh, this is something that in all days of their life, they total, they would, if they were uh, observant Jews, and certainly King Noah's people were clinging to the law of Moses. Uh, this is something that, in all likelihood, they understood, and they understood it. Went back to Sinai. Yeah. Okay, just to be clear, so this was only done for converts to Judaism. Yes. Not every Jew, like we Right. All likelihood, they understood, and they understood it. Went back to Sinai. Yeah. Okay, just to be clear, so this was only done for converts to Judaism. Yes. Not every Jew, like we baptize them. Right, yeah. right. So you get this sense of conversion, so now we go back and say, what was John the Baptist doing? There was a sense of conversion going on here. There is a, certainly a transition moment. Right. So you get this sense of conversion, so now we go back and say, what was John the Baptist doing? There was a sense of conversion going on here. There is a, certainly a transition moment. Okay? I, and, I, and a conversion process that they would understand. Kind of cool, huh? All right. So like I say, next time I speak at a baptism, I'm probably going to use this quote. Okay? I, and, I, and a conversion process that they would understand. Kind of cool, huh? All right. So like I say, next time I speak at a baptism, I'm probably going to use this quote. You know, I just think it's pretty true. All right. Yeah. They also use the mikvah. Women do it before they're married. Ah. 
Yeah, uh, Marlowe's married to a, a Jewish lady, and, and so you get a chance to spend a fair time amount in the in the synagogue. But women before they're married go to the mikvah being washed totally. In preparation for marriage and everything that goes there. Yeah. And see, I think depending on which branch of Judaism, they're probably using the mikvah in in a certain way. But certainly, the history of it, it you, you can see how far back this goes. So, all right. Uh, one other uh, point that I wanted to uh, I wanted to point to, because um, today we're going to talk about um, we, we, we've got we've got two groups of people sitting out there, uh, and we've got King Limhi's people in bondage, and we've got uh, Alma's people about to be in bondage. But Mormon is going to present them side by side with a lot of. Uh, detail and he means for us to compare them that's why they're side by side you study them as a as a in a dualistic thing you put them together and you can see the total picture by seeing both sides of it it's like two phrases in a in a hebrew poetry where you got this one and you got this one and it's the comparison that teaches you okay well in this particular case that's what we've got here but i wanted to point out one other thing that i thought was I was telling you how much I admire King Limhi, and you just get this quiet, powerful spirituality and very little written about him. But I want you to see something interesting here. If we go to Mosiah 7, uh, let's see. I want you to, and this is really subtle, I don't want, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it just kind of left out at me. When Remember when Ammon shows up and he brings all the people together and they're all talking and he says, your witnesses this day, verse 21, that Zenith who is made king over this people, he being overzealous. We're talking about overzealous and again the sex. Being deceived by the cunning and craftiness of King Laman, uh, he yielded up his land. At verse 22, all this he did for the sole purpose of bringing this people into subjection then he's going to say, and behold, at this time we do pay tribute to the king of the Lamanites. There's some major history somewhere between that period of bondage for the sole purpose of bringing this people into subjection and bondage and, and the next word, and. There is a chunk of history right in between those two spots that he's leaving out. What part is he leaving out? Okay, who put who was who brought the people under bondage? Themselves. Zenith, right? Zenith is going to show up, and he's going to trust the Lamanites, mm-hmm. and then they're going to see these Nephites as a nice source of income. So yeah, we'll bring you in, let you really build this thing up, and then we're going to conquer you, and now ultimately you end up in bondage. Okay? So, so that, that was under Zenith. Now he's going to say, and behold, at this time we pay a tribute to the king of the Lamanites, to a man of one half of our corn. What happened between Zen of getting snookered by King Laman and Limhi and his people paying bondage or paying half of theirs to the king? Noah. His dad. And all the stuff. And all the wickedness. 
There's a whole period here, maybe a decade or so or more of wickedness and badness and everything going on and then becoming, because under Zenith, they were pretty righteous. Limhi is pretty good. Noah is, is pretty stinky. And somewhere between, and, he's, and, and look what he's doing. He leaves that entire thing out. If you were reading this and you didn't know anything about Noah, who would you believe is at fault for their bondage? King Laman. Zenith, right to, right to Limhi. Oh, okay. In, in Texas, we'd call this cowboying up. He's going to cowboy up. Rather, because he, he could have written this differently, couldn't he? Zenith was overzealous, and he brought him in there, and the king deceived him, and he ended up in bondage, and my dad was really bad and awful, and that's why it is that we were then placed under bondage, because dad was really bad, and now I'm left having to pick up the crumbs, and yeah, we're in bondage, and it was my dad's fault. That's not what he's doing, is he? It's our fault. However we got here... Z- uh, Limhi's taking the blame and he's not laying it on his dad now he is going to he'll give you a bit of a hint because he's going to say uh, he'll go down here and say 26 a prophet of the Lord they have slain they a chosen man who told them of their wickedness that's as close as he gets to saying they did things and not necessarily us But for the most part, what you're getting from Limhi is we can't blame anybody but ourselves for our own wickedness. And we're not going to try and dump it off anybody else. We're accountable for our choices. That's pretty humble. That's very humble. And I think it's it's very subtle. And he's not making a big deal out of it. But I'm really, really impressed with Limhi saying, Dad really messed up, but you know what? We're to blame. We're in our fix. And we're the ones that are paying tribute. And and he's going to say, back here, uh, 25, if this people had not fallen into transgression, the Lord would have not suffered this great evil to come upon them. And, and, he's, and he's accepting the blame along with everybody else. I, that's, that's, like I said, it's really subtle, but I think it's, it's, uh, it's very appropriate that he would do that. Does that, does that make sense? Humility. Extreme humility. I can't, I, I'm in this fix and I can't dump it on anybody else. And he was willing to, I mean, when Ammon and the brethren came, he, he was ready. I mean, and the people were ready to be baptized. I mean, yeah. because of his humility. Yeah. Let's go, let's go there now because now we're going to see even more because there's going to be that with a major dose of regret for these guys. So I wanted to put together these two, again, like, like Hebraic poetry, you've got to see the two halves together to see the picture. Okay? So we'll, call, we'll, we'll use Hugh Nibley's The Doctrine of the Two Ways uh, to do that. Okay. Now, I'm not going to go into great detail on the stories. I'm going to assume most of us know a lot of these stories. Okay? But let's point out kind of the salient parts of this. So first of all, we have the people of Alma. And who are the people of Alma? Where had they gone? 
Yeah, these are the Alma's con- converts, and first of all, they're going to they're going to go to the waters of Mormon, and they're going to be immersed and cleansed. Okay. Now, at a certain point, they also realize something. Let's take about three steps back because we need to keep this in mind. Um, remember that by history, the Nephites land in the original land of Nephi. Then Laman and Lemuel are being destructive, so then Nephi pulls out, and then they have another spot. And then they live there for hundreds of years. And then at a certain point, who then says, now, which prophet then says we need to leave? Mosiah, father of uh, King Benjamin, says, it's no longer safe for us in the land of Nephi. And the Lord says, Go. So then they travel from the land of Nephi to where? Zarahemla. At that moment, for those people in Nephi, under the direction of the Lord, where is their promised land? Zarahemla is their promised land. They are to go to their promised land led by the Lord. And they do. They travel through the wilderness. They will travel from Nephi. We think probably the highlands of Guatemala, kind of right in there. They come down onto the plain. They're down in Zarahemla. Now, why would anybody end up back in Nephi if the if Zarahemla is their promised land? They would have to be overzealous. It's good that we're in Zarahemla, but the really righteous people, the really gooder than the gooders, where are they? Sorry. Yes. <laughs> or Independence, Missouri. Or, you know, in other words, yes, this is our promised land. The Lord has led, led us here, but there is a better place for the more righteous. Or a tent city out between St. George and Las Vegas. You know, Okay? There's a better place for the real righteous, for the really good ones. For instance, there are the, uh, for conference weekend, a lot of us are kind of sitting around in our jammies. And there are some people that come, their tradition is to come to the church and watch it and dress up in Sunday clothes and watch it in conference. And that's magnificent. That, that for them, is the best way. That's where they feel, feel the most... Um, uh, power and everything, uh, and when they're here, now it makes a difference if you say if they're coming here and say, "Well, the really good people are here wearing their Sunday best, and the bad people are in their jammies." Uh, I've, I've told the I've told the story before in my own little self righteousness, where as a student at, up in uh, at then Rick's College on conference weekend, and I am, uh, and all my roommates are gone. And I get up in the morning and it's conference weekend and I stumble out and I, and I want to hear conference and I went over and we had a stereo set up and I'm fumbling with the radio on there and I catch some scratchy little radio station that's broadcasting conference and I can almost barely hear it. So I get down on the floor and I'm laying on the floor next to one of the speakers listening to general conference. And all the time I'm laying there on the floor all by myself, listening to General Conference, I'm thinking, how righteous am I? Uh I'm in the wilds of Idaho. 
and I'm here and I can barely hear on this little scratchy radio station conference because I'm just, I want to hear the gospel and my roommates are gone and I don't know, they're probably off sinning somewhere. But I'm here listening to conference and I'm feeling so great about myself. Uh-oh. And then it gets to be halftime and I'm hungry. And there it is down in the lobby of our apartment complex, a bunch of candy machines. So I figure I've got time while the Tabernacle Choir is singing to drag my little righteous self up down the hall, get, to the, get some candy bars so I can get back and crouch next to the radio station again. So I can hear the last words of prophets. And I walk into the lobby and everybody's sitting around watching KSL. <laughs> <laughs> on TV. <laughs> and, and, you know, my whole pride factor go. <laughs> They're getting to watch it on TV, and I'm this poor, isolated kid in Idaho. <laughs> And I and and I, I th- and we we have those moments where we're just righteous than righteous, you know, and we kind of look down our nose at everybody else. Okay, uh, and I think that Zenith was doing some of that. I think he gets up there, he leaves. So now they're up there. So to them, yeah, the Lord said the promised land is Zarahemla, but we're going to be better than the better. We're going to be up there. And I think there is a moment for Alma and his people. And they're at the waters of Mormon. And now they know that King Noah's armies are coming out to get them. And they go, maybe the promised land really was Zarahemla. (laughs) And when the Lord said it would be safer in Zarahemla than it was going to be in Nephi, maybe he knew what he was talking about. Somewhere in this process, we've got to believe God knows what he's talking about. (laughs) And when he tells his prophets, just follow it, dang it. But, but now Alma's going to get this sense, we've got to get to our promised land. And in fact, we aren't in where we were supposed to be. We are in the wilderness and we have to go home. We have to go home. How are we going to go home? Well, we've got to start this journey towards our, our own promised land. Does that make sense? And in a sense, every one of us have to have the, that experience. And, and we should be walking out of conference yesterday going... It's time to get back to the promised land. There are things I need to change and work on and be different. I've drifted. I'm a bit in the wilderness here. And I need to get back to the promised land. And that's kind of what, where he's going with this. So the people of Alma, they gather. They 